0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, just exploring doubt and unbelief a little bit and and how it relates to my personal journey over the last year. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, I want to encourage you to pause this one and go back and listen to that one, uh, because this is sort of a part two of that. And so we kind of ended talking about the story in John chapter 20, where Jesus is talking to the disciples specifically to Thomas. And I wanted to read a passage of that for you. And so this is in John chapter 20, 26. And it, it says eight days later, this is after the resurrection, after Jesus has appeared in ghost mode to the disciples. And Thomas just wasn't there for whatever reason, he was not in the room and he's struggling to believe that Jesus has resurrected from the dead, even though everybody is telling him it happened. So he makes this crazy statement. He says, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, which is kind of gross, right? But we'll talk about that later. So verse 26, chapter, uh, John chapter 20, verse 26 says eight days later. So a whole week plus goes by when Thomas is just in a huff, right? It says his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I don't know how ghost Jesus talks, resurrected Jesus talks, but he says, peace be with you. And then he says straight to Thomas, he doesn't miss a beat. He locks onto Thomas and he says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Couple of interesting things to note here. Number one, Jesus was seemingly not present when Thomas went on his rampage of where he wanted to put his finger. And Jesus is saying, hey, I hear you. Hey, I I get it. I get the thoughts that you're saying out loud to people you don't think I hear. And I get the thoughts that are in your mind. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God, he believes. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then he says this promise I talked about last week. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed Blessed are you who have not seen the resurrected Jesus, who have not seen the, the proof for the questions that are in your heart, and yet you trust God anyway. So I want to talk for a little bit today about belief and, uh, you know, journey, the old band journey got it right when they said, don't stop believing because belief is so important to the kingdom life. When belief becomes strong, it becomes like a foundation that you live from a strong belief becomes a a, a ascending force in your life. Now you cannot fake a strong belief. This is not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And this principle is actually strong belief. So, you know, if we wanna um, talk about like a chair, for example, right? When you have sat down on a couch, on your couch in your living room so many times, there is no question in your mind that sucker is gonna hold you, right? When you've watched your kid jump on that couch so many times, there's no question, the couch is probably not gonna break. Now, someday it might. But you know, there's a a belief there, there's a trust there, right? When you jump into a pool uh, and you know you're gonna be able to float if you can swim, what I'm saying is these sort of subconscious things that we do where we are so confident, there's no question in our mind that this is going to happen, that I'm gonna eat this burger and it's gonna taste good. I'm gonna sit on this couch and it's going to catch me. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about In the scripture, all throughout, that's the kind of belief in the kingdom that makes a difference, but you cannot fake that there is no name it, claim it with that. There's no, oh, I believe brother. Yeah, I do. But secretly in your heart, you're going, what is this? It comes through trust, practice, obedience, And it cannot be faked. That's why I believe first Peter talks about faith being as though refined by fire, right? When, when something is refined by fire, when it's forged in fire, it goes into the fire and out and cooled off and then back into the fire and out. And when they would forge swords back in the day, that's what would make this, the metal so strong. It was the back and forth from testing to cooling off periods. And, and that's how it is with our faith. So you can't fake it. But you can grow it. So Hebrews 11, chapter six has this crazy, interesting statement. You guys know this verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I remember my my husband preaching a message on this several years ago where he was saying, so what that means is without faith, you cannot please God. But with faith, you can please God. And there's this idea here, uh, I forget what the reference is, but when, when the scripture says that he rewards those who diligently seek him, he rewards those who diligently seek him. And, and this concept here is that when we really try, God is so honored by that. When we try. So the trying is The practicing is how you get better. That's different than faking it, right? Faking it is saying, oh, I'm already at level 10 and I'm trying to pretend like a level 10 person would. Of course, there's no like levels like that in the kingdom, but you know what I mean. Faking it is saying, you know, I I don't want anybody to really see that I'm not there. Actually practicing it is saying, listen, this is what I have faith for today. I don't know that I believe that God could do this, but I do believe he'll do this and I'm, I'm going after it. I'm stepping out. I hope you can see the difference in that couple other scriptures that let us know that faith is really belief is really important to the Lord. So, uh, David and Goliath, right? This is an oldie, but a goodie David and Goliath first Samuel chapter 17. So David is anointed King. He has this experience. He knows God has called him King. When you anoint someone with a whole jar of oil, uh, that oil sticks around for a long time. It's in your hair, for a long time. I had a friend once who had this kind of radical zealous moment where uh, she wanted to be anointed by God. And so uh, she and her friend went and got a whole jar, a whole bottle of vegetable oil. And they went to her backyard and, and dumped the whole bottle of oil on her. And let me just tell you, it was around for a long time. It's very hard to wash oil out of your hair. And so, you know, when David is anointed, he has this real experience that convinces him someday he's going to be king. And then he goes to the battlefield to take sandwiches to his brothers. He did not go to the battlefield to challenge Goliath. We have to remember this. He was sent by his dad. He didn't wake up one day and say, let me test this king prophecy out. I'm going to the battlefield. I'm going to the front. No, he was just going about his life. But the difference is, he had this belief in who God was. He had this trust in the character and the nature of God. And so when he shows up in a situation he did not mean to get into, he was not out looking for. When he shows up in that situation, he knows he's carrying a mindset that can overcome what the enemy is trying to do. Goliath and the Philistines are just Literally hurling slurs and and slander against God, and David seems to be the only person there who truly knows who God is, and it's from the place of his belief that positions him to have victory in that battle. Let's look at another story in the the twelve spies. Right, you guys know this story, Numbers chapter thirteen. If you're not familiar. Basically Moses and Aaron, they send out 12 spies from Israel. They're scouting out the promised land. So they've heard from God, this place is awesome. You're going to want to go there. It's going to be everything you were looking for. There's so much milk and there's so much honey. And you know, maybe in our day that would not sound like a paradise, but back then that was a big deal. In other words, there was a bunch of provision. You're not going to have to work as hard. That's what that promise was. And so they send out the spies and the spies encounter something interesting. They see two things. The first one is that the fruit is gigantic. I mean, these are like cucumbers, the size of your whole forearm. I don't know. I'm making this up, but they're basically talking about how big the fruit is. The grapes are enormous. Bigger fruit means better fruit. And, uh, and then they also see that there's giants in the land and these people look a little bit fierce. Now you have to remember, the Israelites have been wandering around in the desert. They had not been battling anyone and they had been in slavery prior to that for 400 years. So they had lost a little bit of their warrior mentality, right? And so 10 of the spies look at the of the giants and they are just this is too much. We are not going to win this battle. But the other 2 spies, Joshua and Caleb, they're going, "Uh I think we can take them." What was the difference? The difference was in the belief of who God is. And what God had said. So they come back, they give their report to everybody. And the 10 spies start telling their tall tales about these horrible giants and how they're going to smush us. And we're going to be dead. And this is going to be terrible. And then you've got these two guys who are saying, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. This is not that. This is the land that God has given us. The difference here in the narrative, same story, same eyewitness account. They both saw all of the things. But the difference is, who do we believe God to be? What do we believe God to be like? Is he a good God who wants to advance his people? Or is he a God that is sometimes really powerful and sometimes maybe not? What you believe absolutely determines the atmosphere around you and how you will go after the things of God. Here's an example. If I believe that God judges people according to their sin and he wants them to be punished by their sin, if I believe that about God, which a lot of Christians do, then I am not motivated to share the gospel with people because what I would be doing is, is inviting them into judgment. If I believe that God wants to help people with their sin, that God already dealt with the issue of their sin and what he's after is a relationship with them, then now I'm motivated to extend God's grace onto his other people because I understand what he's like. Belief changes everything. If you believe, let's just talk a very personal, right? Let's talk about finances. If you believe that God does not really care about your needs he's indifferent towards them. Or maybe he's like Santa on Christmas. He'll leave you an extra bone here and then, but the day to day, he does not care. If you believe that, then you're not going to be looking for God to show up and advance you financially. I'm not even talking about becoming a millionaire or anything crazy like that. I'm talking about having abundance in your finances to pay your bills and then some, okay? So that's a different measure for all of us, right? that's what God wants for you but if you don't believe it you will not go after it. if the the 10 spies had their way right and, and they did at some level it's like then everybody believes that God might not show up so nobody even tries. Caleb and Joshua were trying to say, listen, we have to believe that God has given us this land and because he has given it to us, he's not going to just walk us up to the slaughterhouse. If he wanted us dead, he would have had plenty of opportunity to do that prior to, I'm probably going to say something a little bit out of turn, but, um, just give me some grace here for a second. But you know, when COVID-19 stuff started hitting, I really was talking to the Lord and I thought, you know what, God I said, you've had so many times to kill me. (laughs) If you didn't want me alive, you could have done it when my fallopian tube ruptured last year. You could have done it when I had over a hundred pulmonary embolisms, little blood clots in my lungs three years ago. You could have done it when I had a, a raging, uh, non-Mersa staph infection after my, uh, thyroid surgery in 2013, you could have done it in 2010 when I was bit by the brown recluse spider, or when I got a freak case of pneumonia, uh, you could have done it. You know, I, I get on the list and I'm going, clearly you're not interested in me dying young because why would you have intervened then? And so I can look at COVID-19 and say, I can have confidence based on the track record of my life, based on my belief system that I am going to be okay. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not gonna get it someday or anything like that. What I'm saying is my belief system is framed from the track record of my experience with God, and so is yours. So we're not gonna fake belief because that is empty and it cannot hold you. But what we're gonna do is get honest about the ways that God has come through And get honest about what he's saying in scripture. And this is so important. In this day and age, we do not prioritize knowing the word of God like we should. I'm not saying every single person should do deep dive Bible studies every single day and memorize every scripture. That's actually not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we pursue reading the word of God from a place of wanting to understand what he's like, then for other reasons are good too, but for that reason alone, then we begin to put ammo into our faith gun to stand on who God is. So if I know my dad does not want people to perish, then when I look at perishing situations, I have to understand that God is not causing it. Because my God doesn't want people to perish. Does this make sense? So when I come in line with him, I can actually build my faith and my belief. And then when we do that, when our belief is strong, it actually kind of Indiana Jones style creates a land bridge in the air for us to move forward on. So let's go back to my story from last year that I shared with you last week. So I've been hammering doubt. I've been crucifying doubt. I've been going to town on doubt, doubt. And I broke up and it was nasty. I burned everything, that type of a breakup. And it's been amazing because in the last several months, I've come to this place of saying, Lord, maybe what I've been missing is that you've given me the prophetic words, but I have been waiting on you to fulfill them. Maybe you've been waiting on me to step out. Now, this is a nuanced thing. I'm not saying we hold the keys to fulfilling in fullness what God has asked of us, right? A good prophetic word is one that requires a lot from God's end. But what I'm saying is if I don't step out, he can't move through. Because God has chosen to use his people as his vessels. You guys tracking with me? So what this means is that what he has been dreaming inside of you, what he has been challenging you to do, he cannot do without your participation, but you have to participate from the place of believing that he wants to do it, not from the place of doubt unbelief, or even faking your faith. Does this make sense? So as we step out, we do something, we take action in some regard. So, um, here's what that looks like. So I had this idea at the beginning of the year about the book series I shared with you guys about a couple weeks ago for my church. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, does God want me to do this? Does he want me to do this now? Kind of having those type questions, right? And then I'm going, you know what? I have got to step out. I've got to step out and do something about it because otherwise I'm going to, to, to move backwards because we're either moving forward or moving backwards in the kingdom of God. So I started with writing an outline. I wrote an outline in May. I think it was April or May. Um, it's September now. So I have five months ago, four months ago. I can't do quick math. Um, I wrote an outline of, of what I thought the book series would be. And then that forward motion started helping me clarify what God was saying to the point where I'm like, oh, I know what the first book is supposed to be. Get that out of me. Oh, I know what the second one is supposed to be. Start working on that. And then the third one starts to come. If I don't take action, there's no forward motion for God to partner with so that he can do his end. So it's interesting how many of us are waiting on God to do something. Right. And we're sort of sitting on the couch and saying, blow me away, Lord. It's like that, um, that little scene from Mr. The Incredibles, right. Where Mr. Incredible has a hard day of work. He gets out of the car and the little boy is on the tricycle, the neighbor. And he's like, what are you looking at kid? And the little boy looks at him and says, I don't know, waiting for you to do something amazing, I guess. It's like, that's how we are with God. Sometimes we sit on the couch and and we're going, this is really hard, Lord. So, so you do it right. And, And when you do it in such a way that I know it's you, then I'll get up and start doing the hard work. But the kingdom doesn't work like that. It's the faithful and the little who become ruler over much. So when we begin to do something about it, when we begin to study for the requirements that, you know, the certification you need to do the thing God has called you to When you begin to make outlines for the books or materials he's telling you to create, when you begin to make connections with people in the arenas that you're called to. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? You begin, you begin, you step up, you step up and then God begins to move through you. That's the way of the kingdom. It's interesting in Revelation, there's this concept of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, right? He says, behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And there's two doors in Revelation. There's the door that's in heaven, and that door, it says, is open. And then there's the door that's on earth. There's the door that's in you. And that's the one that Jesus is standing and knocking on. And I think this is a spiritual principle for us that applies to so many things, to salvation, to faith, belief, to calling, all types of things. That the door to heaven is open. It's it's gone. It's proverbially gone. So it's always open. Heaven is always accessible to you. The place of God is always accessible to you. There are no more barriers. The, the barrier, the blocking, is the door to our own heart. And that's the one that Jesus is knocking at. And so he's saying, listen, I, I need you to open it up so that we can make this connection, so that I can begin to flood into your life. Of course, this applies to salvation. That's the starting point. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no better time than right now to open that door of your heart and say, Jesus, you can come in and begin to have your way in my life. But even beyond salvation, it goes to what you're dealing with right now, with the area that you need breakthrough in. Do you see that door closed? Because the one from Jesus's end is open. So that one's not closed. And if your door is closed, then guess what? You have permission to open it. You have emphatic permission. You have the champion of heaven knocking on it, saying, I want to come into your circumstance. If you will believe in who I am, I will blow you away. That's the way God is. If you'll believe in who he is, he'll come in and exceed all your expectations, Ephesians 3.20 says, right? So my challenge to you is this where are you at in your belief? It's a little different than faith, but where are you at in your belief in who God is and how he wants to work in your life and get honest with yourself so that you can begin to move forward. Don't fake it, right? Don't bite off more than you can chew. Take a baby step, take two baby steps, or maybe take a a one small leap for man, right? And when you do that, pay attention to how God moves through you, how he releases himself through you. And that cycle is something you can continue to multiply to the point where as you forge into the unknown, riding on the heels of the prophetic promises and declarations he's made over your life, it becomes like a bridge forming before you or a road forming before you, that's reaping a harvest for the kingdom. And I believe that's the time and season that we're in right now. All right, you guys, I think that's all the time we've got for today. I love you all share this with a friend. Uh, let's go passionately hard after Jesus in this season. There's no better time than now to develop a deeper relationship with him until next time. Be blessed.